Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jazza John. So each episode we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is... Queer Slasher! More or less appreciate the the sound effects, thank you very much. Uh, This week, we're going to be discussing the brilliantly named, and not brilliant in very many other categories, They (gasps) Slash Them, a queer slasher horror which takes place in a conversion camp, confusingly run by Kevin Bacon. I don't think confusing. I think that makes total sense. So this is a horror movie, and we did watch it together, and I can confirm that Jazza is a little baby. And so I... I roast them every single episode of this show, but we'll be double roasting today. But before I do, Jazza, what's the gayest thing that you've done since the last episode? Oh. <laughs> I wrote the script and I forgot to think of something. Um, I started dating someone about three months before I plan on emigrating to another country. And if that isn't queer then I don't know what is, you know? Am I gonna get uh, have a shotgun marriage for the visa? Am I going to cry in the rain as we say goodbye at the airport? Who knows? Stay tuned, listeners. I love the idea that it's raining inside of the airport. Um, so <laughs> Of course it's raining inside the airport. Where else would it rain? That's pretty... Also, I really appreciate the fact that every single damn one of your... The gayest thing I've done is something to do with your love life. A hundred, of course it is. Uh, how about you? What's the what's the gayest thing that you've done? I DM'd a game of D and D for some gays. Um, <laughs> for some for some of them queers. Um, it was to very, be fair, D and D is pretty queer on its own. But the fact that it was a it was an all gay. Well, at least at least fifty percent. I didn't inquire as to everyone's sexuality before. You didn't go around the table. How we didn't go around the table, you? unfortunately. No, I d- missed opportunity for me. But yes, I just feel like. Again, my my version of being queer is never anything to do with my love life. And it's always like some tangential, <laughs> weird mm, tangential, tangential thing. nerdy thing. Yeah, something exactly. to do with I t- just, tabletop RPGs I do is, or You know what? Anything I do is queer, you know? That's just how I roll. Oh, actually, also, I, I as my, you know, day job, make video essays. And uh, this one that's about to come out that I worked on this month was about the Omegaverse. Uh, and how queer it is. If you don't already know what that means, I beg of you, do not Google it. Well, they should, so that they can then watch your mm, video, right? No, no. No, think about the promo, Rowan. Come on. They can. Well, my video does explain what it is, but also I don't want to be the person responsible for, like, if you're not someone who's ever come across the phrase, being the one who introduces it to you because you got curious mm. in a horror podcast. But mm-hmm. you know what? It's you're all free, your fault. You have free will. Do what you want. If this is your first time at the Queer Movie Podcast, allow me to explain how we do things here. First, we will give you some background discussion about media depictions of conversion therapy and horror history. I would like to point out that that's not a thing we do every single episode. We just generally give you some context. We're not always talking about the same same thing when we do comedy. Just in case it is your first time listening and you're like, what a specific podcast. Um, So after that... (laughs) As always, we will be splitting the film into three acts, singing along to the film's rendition of Pink's Perfect and end, as always, with our very special gay ratings. 
we will be spoiling all of this movie, so would recommend watching it beforehand if you prefer to go into these things blind. Though, I don't know why you would, because it just makes things more scary. Without further ado, let's do our best not to be sexually tempted by an elven water nymph and review they slash them. Rowan, from my experience, I would say over 50%, but no more than 75% of the queer people I know are obsessed with slasher horror. Is there, perchance, something particularly qua about the genre? Um, so I think that we've talked about horror in general before on the on the show. We did a, an episode on Jennifer's body and we've also done a, a, an episode about vampires. And I think that we, we've talked both times about the fact that horror in general has a lot of queer origins. So kind of the origin of the vampire novel with Carmilla is very queer and even Dracula itself. Some people talk about the idea that Bram Stoker's sort of closeted queerness uh, had a big part in it. When we talk about things like gothic horror, which is, I guess, the kind of literary origins of the genre, putting aside the fact that, you know, oral storytelling and scary stories and all that kind of stuff existed before it was, you know, officially written down uh, across the world. We're looking at a time in which it wasn't okay to be openly queer. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of people who are either writing queer subtext into their horror or are deliberately having to try and avoid it but like even if you think about the idea of like the picture of Dorian Gray it's like a kind of gothic mm -hmm. horror story that was like a key part in Oscar Wilde's conviction mm -hmm. so it's always kind of been part of the genre but when we turn to television we have again this like dearth of uh, this lack of openly queer horror for a very long time and so mm -hmm. a lot of the slasher horror that is kind of classic slasher either doesn't have any queerness in it or it's very much a subtext or it's even part of the villainous story, right? So if we're looking at the idea of like murderers being something which is directly opposed to the hero character, the good character, they might be mm -hmm. a character that is like a man who's gender non-conforming, something that's wrong about them, something that they have to keep secret, a guilt, a mm. guilt that they have, all of that kind of stuff. Very queer. I always think of in Scream the fact that the killer spoilers for Scream the fact that the killers are men, men who have sex. I don't think they probably identify as gay, but they're two men who have sex with one another, and that is kind of like played off as a way that they are like othered. Um, it increases their evil factor and all of those kinds of things. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, right? Yeah, they don't. That's not canon in the first Scream. That um, isn't it. Billy and Stu fuck each other. No, isn't it? No. I'm pretty sure. No. <laughs> right. I, well, I think that probably says more about me. But or have I? You know what? I'm. You know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of um uh, another, not another scary movie. Okay, but here's the thing though. The screenwriter of Scream is Kevin Williamson, and he mm -hmm. has subsequently confirmed that there is queer coding within their relationship and that they were based mm. on a real life pair of gay killers. So you were uh, picking up what the movie was putting so down. So there we go. I, <laughs> I genuinely think it's a scary movie that has cemented that fact <laughs> so firmly into my mind. That's hilarious. If horror is uh, meant to tap into our kind of subconscious fears or societal fears, then a fear of queer people, homophobia, biphobia transphobia is it's not exactly unheard of i think more recently what we've gotten is the other side of that which is queer people's fear of 
of homophobia, their fear mm-hmm. of transphobia and the, and the things that it can do to them. And so... Homophobia phobia, perhaps. The phobia phobia. So we've gone from having to either see ourselves in the villains or find like subtext to stuff that's a lot more open and is dealing with the very specific like fears of being queer in some way, mm-hmm. um, of being misunderstood, of being rejected by family, of being rejected by society. And so we get these pieces like Fear Street, for example, that are giving us something where we are the protagonists rather than the villains or just in the subtext. Um, interestingly and slightly frustratingly for us, there is a original series coming out on Shudder, which is a kind of streaming platform specifically for horror called Queer for Fear, The History of Queer Horror, next month oh. so we j- annoyingly oh. just missed it <laughs> yeah we have none of that information present in that Doctor yeah series. it's being released for october this year i imagine like just in time for halloween but i think that does is a testament to the fact that there is an entire series worth of material in terms of queer horror so the more recent mm-hmm. ones obviously we've got things like bit we've got assassination nation um the fear street trilogy knife plus heart the perfection mm-hmm. titan like the, there's so many of them at this point and i'm just really excited about where we're gonna go with it and i think that this movie fits into this genre really interestingly because it is extremely aware of the fact that it is a queer movie mm-hmm. but i mean even f- from like the title yes. like i i adore the title of this it used to be called whistler camp so uh, when it was first announced it was called whistler camp which is the name of the of the camp and uh they changed the name and i love i love the the current name that they have they slash them incredible absolutely chef's kiss but I think that we will probably have a discussion as we go through talking about the movie itself, where we kind of think about like, who are these movies for? If you're writing a queer movie that you're hoping to be like a mainstream success or like a cult success, how do you balance being something for queer people or by queer people with still being accessible to a mainstream audience if that's what you're looking to do Mm -hmm. are you going to be pitching it at like classic horror fans or people who are just like queer people who have who want to watch the movie for it being queer not necessarily because they know a lot about horror already and so won't necessarily get any of the references in it for example how do you create something where the queer people are the heroes is that something you want to do do you want to knowingly make them the villains like how do you how do you put all this stuff together and i think that all of those kind of conversations are going to be really interesting to have with this movie in particular Interestingly, I just wanted to kind of like pick up on um, something because I remember you talking about, I think maybe at a, uh, you were at like a a Black Panther screening Mm. or premiere or something and the whole cast came up on stage and it was like, oh, this is a movie by black people, about black people, for black people and seeing them all there on stage. And I think you've said a few times, I don't really think that, uh, yeah, like I, I, I wonder when that's going to happen for kind of like a queer movie. Arguably, this has all of that. It's a queer director, a non-binary lead playing a non-binary character, pretty much an all queer cast. Has this satiated your need? So I'll say now that one of the key things that Black Panther has is that the conflict is within the community now outside of it. So it's not a movie about racism. Mm -hmm. It's a movie that feels like it digs into things going on within the community, the conversations around how do you get justice for racial oppression? Is it better to 
assimilate within society and change it from within? Is it better to be isolationist? And to, like all of these questions. And so what this movie has is a lot of those aspects of, okay, we have a, a queer cast, queer director, queer writer. It's not like a hugely big budget movie, but it does have all of that. But it's still at its heart is a movie about homophobia and queer trauma from outside of the community that it's not necessarily mm -hmm. something from kevin bacon from kevin bacon specifically, specifically. um but it's mm. it's not necessarily like that was another aspect of black panther that i felt like was particularly unique um and particularly exciting mm. and so that i think is still something that we're looking to to find and as well as kind of the big budget element of it and things like that i think there's still a lot of the trauma was like really centered within this movie but in terms of mm -hmm. it having that authenticity of of the actors which i think i really felt within this movie that it was casting these queer actors within within these roles. It wasn't kind of having the straight people be like, yeah, so I really had to research. Like I actually have a cousin who's a they, them. And I, I you know, did some research <laughs> into it, which is, you know, something we're used to now. Very Margarita with Yeah, exactly. So we also wanted to talk a little bit about the scenario, the scene in which this is set of Whistler camp, of a conversion camp. Because this is something that we have seen before, both on the podcast and with some of our watch-alongs on the Discord for Patreon members, shameless plug. So a few of the standout movies that have already tackled this subject matter are But I'm a Cheerleader, which we did a, a few classic. episodes back, which is an absolute classic, is a brilliant movie and somehow turns the genuine horrors of going through conversion therapy into a brilliant satire. I really think it is I think it's way up there in terms of quality of satire. And then we've also in the past watched The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which is based on the novel of the same name, which is more of a drama. Yeah, straight drama. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not a big fan of dramas in general. I find them a little bit boring and dry generally. But Miseducation of Cameron Post also sets the scene mm -hmm. there. There are a few other movies. So there's documentaries like uh, Pray Away, which came out recently. And the 2018 movie Boy Erased, which is based on the memoir, which starred Russell Crowe and... not Nicole Portman. Kidman? Help me out. Nicole Kidman, thank you You're very welcome. much. Your personal IMDb right here. <laughs> you are the best. On paper, this kind of a scenario should work really, really well for specifically a horror movie. And it's really interesting. I think this is one of the first times that explicitly we've had kind of like a horror movie, certainly a slasher horror as kind of like the centerpiece and the main setting of a queer movie. What do you think it is about the scenario of sending kids to stop them being gay? Why do you think that's so attractive and appealing? Because for me... I still, like, I still watch But I'm a Cheerleader and I still think, hmm, too soon. And But I'm a Cheerleader came out in, like, was it the late 90s, early noughties? Uh, and it was certainly too soon then because, um, as I talked about in that episode, conversion therapy is still legal in many, many, many places. Including here in the UK. Yay! Love that. Why do you think this is such an attractive prospect for telling these kinds of queer stories so i think it's one is that it's kind of the extreme of homophobia which is still realistic right so it's like okay mm -hmm. if we're gonna take a place which is gonna take these to the extremes and it with extremes you can get you get into genre fiction right you get into horror you get into comedy you get into satire because it's stretching it out and when you already have something that's so heightened 
that just kind of makes sense. I think with horror, for example, it's a very, it's like, okay, it's a load of kids who are cut off from the outside world. And so again, that works for a kind of satire because you get to have this microcosm that you can create a heightened reality in. Like, and we talked about the fact within But I'm a Cheerleader, the house that they're in is like a classic haunted house. Like it almost looks like the haunted mansion in Disney. Like it really is like tying together the idea of the horror of it with comedy at the same time. And like But I'm a Cheerleader, there are scenes within this movie that we'll talk about which are almost exactly parallel because they reflect the type of reality in these camps Mm -hmm. so like going to your specific gendered activities Mm -hmm. but within they slash them they just push the horror slightly further even within what could be quite a funny like ridiculous scenario of like okay and now you're gonna bake a pie and then almost the opposite is true within uh but i'm a cheerleader where it's like okay this is a really horrific scenario in which they're like forcing these children into these very specific molds of of life but they then up the comedy to offset that so yeah i think i think it's like this exaggeration without it being melodramatic in and of itself because it's still a realistic scenario i think that's kind of why it works and it's also a very like arguably for mainstream audiences it's a it's a form of homophobia that they can distance themselves from yeah 100 percent. so even if they themselves have thought like oh no that that's too far like that gay person is a bit too like if someone's super gender non-conforming like those are the limp those are like the edges of homophobia where people who consider themselves very liberal and like oh i believe gays should be able to get married will still have these thoughts of like well i don't know like the non-binary thing doesn't make sense to me or like oh that you know I like the normal gays, but this type of gay is not quite right. Or like, why do you have to keep telling everyone you're gay? Like, we should all just be the same. Those kind of people are able to very much separate themselves from the villains who are like part of a conversion therapy camp. So it feels maybe more comfortable for those audiences to watch. Yeah, it makes it easier for you to be like, I'm not homophobic because these characters that are homophobic that are performing literal torture on often children in these movies. Mm hmm. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I don't think people should have to be electrocuted when they w- look at topless men, mm-hmm. as an example. But it's interesting hearing you say that you think it allows them to kind of like be more on the side of kind of like LGBTQ plus characters, because I think actually they them probably is one of the only ones that I've seen that has this gender non-conforming character at the center a non-binary character jordan at the center of it and is shown kind of like outright respect in a way that actually many of the other kind of like queer characters the we'll talk about how the trans character is treated and how the one of the infeminate gay men is uh, is treated as well but actually this is the first time i've seen kind of like a non-binary character actually treated with respect and I think for hmm, there, there are other parts of the movie that I'm not a, a, a huge fan of, but I think that that in itself was actually really was really positive mm. and could be something that maybe straight audiences, um, cishet audiences would be able to take away from this experience. Yeah, I think there's a difference between the filmmakers treating a character with respect and like the characters within the movie treating a character with respect and i think that that Mm -hmm. what was really interesting about the the difference between the treatment of like kevin bacon for example as like the head of the camp like kevin bacon's attitude towards jordan who's the non-binary character and towards alexandra who's the trans character was really interesting because to me i was like oh this is a really obvious indication of trying to counter the the slightly different rhetoric around non-binary and around trans people within the mainstream media Mm -hmm. where non-binary people are a 
seen as something that either like doesn't exist or is just like a joke a thing that's like you know jokey on the internet whatever and so showing a character who is legitimized within the film counters that whereas with Mm -hmm. the trans woman character the idea is that they are the ones in the mainstream of like transphobia in the mainstream they're the ones that victimize other people and so by showing her as a Mm -hmm. victim very specifically within the context of the movie that was a good way of countering that rhetoric and so it was like Mm -hmm. attempting to counter dangerous rhetoric of both of these identities which needed a slightly different approach because of the mainstream rhetoric around those two identities being slightly different which i thought was a really interesting way of dealing with it mm-hmm. let's dive into the actual movie so we, our comments have some context so we split the movie into three separate acts as we go through the review i have called act one Oh no, I don't like this. Yes, which essentially was a direct quote from you as we were watching the movie. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. That was specifically about how Alexandra was treated. What did you? What did you call it? The party, but no aftermath. Oh, I feel like we've split it differently. Okay, I literally my my act one ends at the at the song. Oh, my act two begins at the ah, song because it's the only thing that is vaguely close enough to a party. Good enough. So for those who don't mm-hmm. know, uh, every single time we watch one of these dang movies, there's always a party in its aftermath. D- every genre, for some reason, there's a party. We love to see it. So some we had a couple of films there where literally every single act had a party in its aftermath. So we're always on the lookout. So the beginning of this movie is essentially uh, like a cold open, which is very classic for a slasher. It, it shows us the the slashing from the very beginning we have a we have a sense of the stakes we have a sense of the fear especially because what will happen is as with most storytelling you get the act one which is setting up the ordinary world of these characters like the setting that we're going to find ourselves in before they kind of take agency and and we we see the big bad and so rather than having a scary movie where there's literally no scares for the first like half an hour to an hour they give you a little cold open and Mm -hmm. this one classic old lady side of the road you've got a deer jumping out in front of the car you've got slash tart it's just like all of all of the classics of the genre all together mm-hmm. um it's it is a di- but it's technically a stag which is confirmed gay every gay man's apartment has a stag motif somewhere so already flying the flag <laughs> excellent we also have something that's like reasonably um like not subconscious like it's but it's not necessarily something i think people would be consciously thinking about but it does set the tone of this slasher which is that the tires of this uh woman's car who's driving along in the woods in the middle of the night are blown out by what i have described because i couldn't remember what they were called as police road knives what are i they don't called? know they're the st- i think they're called stingers they're police road knives oh yes. sure they're like the things that you roll out to pop people's yeah. tires and so that Mm. confirms to us that this is not a supernatural slasher right this is some kind of like Um, human like there is a murderer it's a person this is someone Mm. using practical stuff not like magically stopping the car and then she gets axed Mm. (laughs) r.i.p pull one out for random lady except don't because we find out who she is later and we don't like her but yes we here we go we're into the actual movie and we are arriving at this conversion camp where we Mm -hmm. have a great speech from kevin bacon to open this up who's the head of the camp i will say he made the camp seem very reasonable actually 
quite you nice. were he made convinced it sound like by the propaganda chatter everybody i was close to signing up you know he said he said one thing about god and said well that's the last thing you're going to hear about that um i'm going to he was going to respect everybody even the person who used they them pronouns was respected and, and basically got to choose what gender dorm they got to sleep i thought it was all very respectful and i don't know why people complain about these things all of the time it was really strong uh, cool youth pastor energy that he was he was serving. It was two un- two unbuttoned buttons on his shirt kind of vibes, you know, swoopy hair. Absolutely. It was interesting because so you say that he it was like Jordan got to decide where they were sleeping, but they kind of didn't because Kevin Bacon was yeah, like, they you were can assigned go with the to boys. the guys and then you can and change you can, if you want. But it wasn't even like you can change. It was like, we'll sort out alternative arrangements, kind of like implying that there would be some, like you just sleep in a shack in the woods or something. Mm-hmm. But I also found that really interesting because I was like, do you like where why are you deciding it's a boy thing is it just because like jordan has short hair and you're like that's more more of a boy situation or is it just an assumption because mm-hmm. as we find out later i think we find out later that jordan's there's depending on how you want to phrase this i feel like there's different ways of phrasing it but assigned female at birth let's say a5 mm-hmm. person is we mm-hmm. we discover that about it so i think that's also very interesting that there was an assumption by kevin bacon of like oh you are a boy because you read to me immediately with your short hair as one of them kevin kevin bacon also ends up using he him pronouns with jordan later on as jordan shows mm-hmm. more stereotypically masculine, masculine exactly. traits like being able to shoot and all of those kinds of things that almost makes it seem like kevin bacon and we're never going to refer to this character by its name because no. it is that kevin bacon and also i don't remember his name it's owen okay sure but Jordan ends up showing that they can shoot really, really well. And then Kevin, oh, Kevin, um, uh, is like, oh, respect, bro. <laughs> You're the killer, son. And yeah, it's interesting how that flip ends up happening. But um, at the beginning of this, when we uh, introduced to all of the happy campers, mm-hmm. they all line up. Uh, there's 14 of them. Weirdly, only half of them have speaking parts. And this bothered me through the whole thing. Yeah, Jazza was very on perturbed. I kept on waiting for the... I kept on calling them NPCs. I kept on waiting for the NPCs to be killed or do something. But no, they're just bodies in the room. And I didn't really see the point in them. I think it would have worked fine with just the seven speaking parts that we already had. But they are um, introduced split off by gender and go off into their cabins and they go in into kind of like this this group kind of like communal session where they are in a circle and share why they came to Whistler to Whistler camp to Owen's Mm -hmm. camp so I think it's really interesting because this is to me the idea of what um Kevin Bacon slash Owen was saying at the beginning when we were talking about the speech being quite nice it's one of those like underneath the surface, what are you actually saying? And so underneath the surface, what what he essentially was saying was, if you are feeling, you know, we don't want to change you, but if you want to change, and then was essentially Uh uh, listing or describing a bunch of stuff, kind of trauma and suffering that these young people would have been, would have been feeling because of homophobia, right? Not because Mm -hmm. of their innate queerness, it's the situation that they're in. And he was essentially proposing that if they were feeling bad, 
they could just change themselves. Like he wouldn't force them to change themselves, but they could if they were feeling bad and therefore kind of putting all of the responsibility onto onto these children and implying that the reason why they felt bad was because of themselves and not other people, which I felt was a very insidious. We love a bit of insidious horror that seems mm-hmm. very reasonable. I found this this like focus group like AA meeting really difficult to watch because mm-hmm. it was. I was just I was watching a load of um characters vocalize the same kind of like internalized homophobia that I have felt when I was younger, especially Stu, because I may not have the body for it anymore. But I used to be a swimmer like Stu, that who's like the the stereotypical high school jock talking about how he felt very uncomfortable in changing rooms, didn't know where to look. Um, And a lot of this kind of like, if only I were normal, then I'd be able to kind of like just get on and do the thing that I really love, which Mm -hmm. I assume is is the sport that he's dedicated so much of his time to. And you heard other characters um, kind of like talk about this as well, striking up deals with their families, for example. We find out later that some of the characters, namely uh, Veronica, who is the blue-haired bi, we find out that they are a journalist doing a piece for the school paper to show how fucked up these things are. And apart from Veronica... Alexandra, who's the trans girl, and Jordan, the non-binary individual, the others all seem to genuinely kind of like hold internalized homophobia within themselves. And it just kind of, it moved me. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was really horror though. You know, it was a weird emotion to go through when watching a horror movie that's just made me shit myself because I'm apparently scared of stags coming out of the woods. So this is really interesting because I think that horror often plays into a bunch of different including slashes uh, tie into a bunch of different types of horror whether it is psychological horror the physical sensation of horror and and oftentimes horror movies are sad like i some of Mm -hmm. my favorite horror movies really tie into sadness like one of my favorite films of all time is the orphanage which not to be confused with the orphan very different movie it's a spanish movie um called the orphanage which is desperately sad and i think that that's not necessarily like a, a contradictory thing but i think that this movie does take a long time to get to the horror again it very much feels like the the kind of horror element is the end of the third act and so we essentially have this like very tense uh, mm-hmm. few acts without the slasher element but I think the fact that it was I don't know whether it's because it was sold so specifically as a slasher that there was maybe more of an expectation that the slashing would happen earlier because I think there is something horrific about a lot of the stuff that happens in between and the sort of insidious control that Kevin yeah. Bacon has over the kids but it's not slasher for most of this movie which is not necessarily a bad thing but I think it was interesting to to see also I I choose to believe that uh Jazza is unknowingly colorblind because Veronica's hair was very much red but we'll I said it was you said it was blue head bisexual was the exact phrase that you used oh did I I'm being stereotyped. but you know what the blue head bisexual is just a it's an internal vibe um it doesn't necessarily connect with color it doesn't mean yeah it doesn't mean actual (laughs) color um but yeah we also um have a few kind of like classic horror things happening throughout so we have the like standoffish handyman who immediately me and Jazza doesn't need to exist in this only exists as a cliche yeah I I was really I was hoping it was going to be like oh this is an obvious red herring that's going to be a twist so like we see him staring at the girls as they walk off and I was like okay Mm -hmm. maybe this is someone who's like undercover like someone who is 
the like the dad of one of the kids and but who hasn't seen them since they were young and has found out they're going to this camp and wants to try and look out for that i was like there's so many ways that we could have had yeah. like, no it, it's just a, a skeevy handyman that we'll mm-hmm. find out later he basically just likes creeping on the girls yeah and for some reason has a load of dolls in his um in his which cabin. is completely normal and so yeah basically when we go through each of these people like they want to change but it's always about other people so it's about you know heteronormative expectations it's about homophobia in sport i'm trying to make it easier it's not about an innate wrongness of being queer it's very obviously about the external world but it's that's not something that's really gonna knowing that is not something that's gonna help these kids because their lived reality is this is bad like i'm not having a good time i'm and we find out that alexandra kind of has made this deal with her parents so that she is still able to have contact with her little brother who she loves mm-hmm. a lot like there's there's a lots of stuff going on which is very much the outside world forcing them into this rather than it being about them being wrong in and of themselves which i think was a nice distinction for us to have as an audience because obviously it's true speaking of alexandra she sneaks out of the girls dorm to have a shower the first morning that they stay there uh, assumedly for some privacy and then one of the camp counselors comes and uh, sees her looks shocked and it is implied that the camp counselor maybe saw saw a penis um and they uh, then say that alexandra has been misleading them uh, didn't share that she was trans then they start calling her I think we assume it's dead naming her mm-hmm. and makes her stay in the boys' dorm, which, as Rowan says, is going to be very stinky. Yeah, you don't want to stay in there. And I do no, like the fact, um, so when, obviously, the classic, like, with Psycho, the shower slasher scene is, like, a very, very classic yeah. the genre. And so Jazza, during that entire thing, was like, oh, no, oh, no, I don't want you to die. Don't go in the mm-hmm, shower. Mm-hmm. But I liked the parallel of turning around being shocked and seeing just like oh it's a normal person and that idea of the black cat in the alley technique which is in horror where you have a moment of a drop in tension because Mm -hmm. oh that scary noise was just a cat like yowling running through the alley and often that will be followed immediately by an actual scare so you have like a drop in tension and an immediate like unexpected ramp up in tension and we kind of have this idea of the black cat in the alley as this oh, it's not the killer. It's just some woman who's just walked in and that's still uncomfortable, but it's not like you're not getting murdered. But then we immediately go to like an actual horror situation of this trans girl being misgendered, being humiliated, being mm-hmm. like in this cabin, which was the exact moment that Jazza was like, oh, I don't like this. No, no, no. no I, did, I did not like it at all. No, 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 no. We have one of the camp counsellors identified as an ally though, um, Molly, who's played by Anna Chlumsky, who's in Veep. Uh, is the main thing that I know her from, but uh, was apparently a child actor that Americans actually know her from. Oh yeah, no, she was in, she was the lead in uh, My Girl. Yeah, I'll pretend I know what that is. <laughs> um, uh, she's identified as a an ally um, because at the beginning when everybody arrives, all of their mobile phones and medications were taken away and Molly decides to give Alexandra her estrogel back, which is an estrogen hormone so that she can stay on her hormones they end up um doing kind of like the gendered kind of like sports 
activities and then one of the nights they end up getting I don't understand why this scene exists it's it's just kind of like remember that there's a murderer here mm-hmm. where they all get handcuffed in pairs and then they walk off into the woods and then I guess have to walk back except none of them do they're all just lost in the woods until morning yeah they all just kind of like sit in the woods and wait for one of the camp counselors to blow a foghorn like it's it, it's it's a bit of an odd scene um and then once they come back we see the third basically psychologically abusing each and every single one of these children Mm -hmm. by making them question their sexualities and gender identities. And we see that happen with Jordan, where the doctor plants the seed that maybe all of the stuff is just like made up and really you just wanted... um, Love and attention. attention. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) maybe... (laughs) But the thing, because the thing is, again, it's so insidious and also based on a lot of the stuff that happens because it's like, it's not inherently bad to want to be loved, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, as a teenager, maybe you do want attention because, you know, your parents pay attention to you. Your parents are interested in what you have to say is a sign of kind of respect, especially as a teenager who are, you're forming your own opinions about the world. And so people listening to you is a sign of love, it's a sign of affection, it's a sign of respect. And so yes, having attention is not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't also Mm -hmm. mean that's the reason why you have the identity you you have. But I think that it's really easy for someone to play on someone's insecurities and to equate those two things, right? It's the same way of being like, oh, you want food, you want to be fed, you want sustenance. Ah, oh, okay, I guess that's... Have you thought about that might be why you think you'll get... Like, equating mm-hmm. two things that are not necessarily the same, but it's like, oh God, yeah, I do want love and affection and attention. Maybe that is what's going on. Like, that kind of insidious... It really brought up kind of like a load of the stuff that is assumed, and I've definitely thought about myself before. And again, it was like, is this... Does this count as like psychological horror or is it just triggering me? I think it's both, but I think that is what psychological horror is, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have a lot of psychological horror digs into very, very fundamental things about people and about identities and about structural inequality and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a lot of psychological horror will dig into gender, for example, and into that kind of stuff. A lot of it will dig into ideas of... Uh, If you think about psychological horror in recent years, it's talked about race, for example, um, Our Mm. House or uh, Get Out, things like that, where it's essentially looking at all of the stuff that you tell yourself you shouldn't worry about Mm. or you shouldn't think about or isn't true and like holding up a mirror to it, which is, yeah, I would definitely say, I, I think it's almost, there's part of me that's frustrated that this got like slasher horror as the label attached to it because I feel like there was some real potential for the more psychological horror aspect of it to have been yeah the focus agreed. and I feel like the split is wasn't quite as balanced as I would have needed it to be for it to be a slasher We're going to take a slight pause here, listeners, because I know some of you might be the the jazzers of the world and maybe you're shaking in your boots, you're terrified, you're like, please, I can't go on, I'm too scared. We're going to give you a little reprieve um, so that we can do a little thank you to our sponsor for today, Tab for a Cause, which if you've listened to episodes before, you may well have heard of them. But if you haven't, uh, where have you been? Because you're going to want to hear about this if you are like me, riddled with ADHD, or I just believe any normal person on the internet, then you'll be familiar with the 
I have a thousand tabs problem. Some tabs you maybe, uh, you know, loaded up six weeks ago and you're like, I'll get around to reading the article at some point and you just simply never have. And maybe that makes you feel uh, slightly embarrassed, guilty, like you have to screen share at work and you're like, nobody look at all these tabs. Well, you don't have to feel bad about those tabs anymore. In fact, you can feel great about them with Tab for a Cause because it is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity, do actual good in the world while just vibing online. Here's how it works. Whenever you open a new tab, you'll see a beautiful photo and a small ad. And part of that ad money goes towards a charity of your choice. What could be better? So if that is of interest, and why wouldn't it be, then you can join Team Queer Movie Podcast by signing up at tabforacause.org forward slash queer movie. I also just wanted to mention here another one of the podcasts from The Multitude Collective, which the Queer Movie Podcast is a part of, because there are just some amazing podcasts within this beautiful community of people who just are excited about something and they want to talk about it. And I think that's what the best podcasts are made out of. So we're going to talk about Exalor, which if you haven't listened to it, I can highly recommend it. You know, have you ever wondered what life would be like on a planet different from our own or how writers create your favorite fictional worlds? I know I have, and I do listen to this podcast as a writer and as someone who loves to DM and homebrew D&D games and things like that. I love to think about, uh, you know, fictional what-if worlds. Well, you don't have to wonder anymore uh, because we actually have some facts for you in the X-Law podcast. I am not a science person, so it is amazing to be listening to people who actually know what they talk about with these worlds, who aren't just making it up from their heads, because I think that when you've got a little bit of grounding in science, it just makes it all the more believable. So every other week, astrophysicist slash folklorist, an incredible combo, Dr. Moya Mukhtir, explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. You'll learn, you'll laugh, and you'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. Honestly, it's fantastic. It's so interesting to see people build a world from scratch or or pick apart something that's already been made. I love world building and this is just such an amazing, in-depth, exciting podcast to do that with. So you can subscribe today by searching Exalor in your podcast app or going to exalorpod.com. And finally, I just wanted to remind everyone, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've been enjoying our other episodes, we have a Patreon that you can support us on, which has some really exciting tiers, including like recommendation lists, top 10 lists of different queer movies. Um, We have our Patreon only Discord. And we also have a watch along where every month we watch a queer movie together. We have literally at this point done like I think over 100 of them. It is very, very exciting. And you get to suggest the movies that we watch. We watch everything from, uh, you know, know the absolutely iconic movies to maybe ones you haven't heard of before or kind of niche cult favorites so definitely check that out the link will be in the show notes this is where i have my second act the party and its aftermath because this is the closest fucking thing the whole movie has to a party and actually i think it's the least realistic part of the whole movie if i'm completely honest because um jordan comes back they're really sad about being triggered by the psychologist and then a load of zoomers dance to fucking perfect a song by pink that i think came out maybe 10 years ago. Do Zoomers know who Pink is? No. I mean, I can only assume that they ironically decided to watch Glee and then it was covered in Glee. 
that's the only way I can think that that would work. Although Pink is obviously a complete icon. But yeah, it was Mm -hmm. very awkward. And it kind of was, it had a moment where I was like, was this secretly a musical the whole time? Has this been leading us into a musical slasher bonanza? Yeah, very much Sweeney Todd vibes of all of a sudden, oh, this is a musical now. Mm -hmm. How excellent. But essentially it cements, I think, within them some kind of purpose. So Jordan takes control and decides to break into the office, ostensibly to try and get phones like they they saw that kevin bacon had their phones locked in this office but instead finds a load of creepy old pictures of the camp essentially implying that this camp has been going on for a very long time and also that they have been actively abusing children in this camp they have been like hurting them doing forced like baptisms uh chaining them up and molly our favorite we hope good good counsellor. I was very suspicious of Molly the whole time and whether she was secretly Mm -hmm. a plant, but catches them and seems to be supportive in a kind of like wary way of like, don't rock the boat. I won't report you, you know, and I just wrote in my notes in capital letters, I do not trust her at this point. Mm -hmm. It's also at this point that the groundskeeper who nobody really cared about and uh, they never really utilised in the movie, um, he gets killed while he's observing the girls showering. So that's fun. The next day, after the death of the groundskeeper, they take the boys and Jordan to a shooting range while the girls make pie. It is, like, I think actually almost an exact replica of kind of like the task that they were doing in But I'm a Cheerleader, but much less fun. So Jordan ends up showing... Uh, everyone who's boss because Jordan comes from a a military family and knows how to handle a gun and then Kevin Bacon starts trying to make one of the other more um, uh, flamboyant characters uh, Toby tells him to uh, shoot the dog because the dog has cancer apparently up until this point, I was convinced that the dog was the was the murderer. And so this is where I, I finally knew that my theory wasn't true. And rather than do it, Owen kind of like um, the Toby, the uh, young kid, kind of like freaks out. And then uh, and then Jordan does it for him. And then we have one of the uh, the camp counselors who's doing the, the pie baking um, ends up flirting with one of the Kim, one, Kim, one of the young kids at the camp and it's very uncomfortable yeah and i did appreciate considering how much i hate stupid age gap student teacher sexual tension nonsense in so many uh movies especially queer movies i like the fact that they portrayed this somewhat realistically in that Kim is just extremely uncomfortable, not just because of the idea of it being like queer attention, because we see immediately afterwards that she is totally fine with queer attention and queerness in with, with someone who is someone that she likes. But the idea of like, hey, someone in a position of power over me, a teacher is is making me very uncomfortable in this situation and actually portrayed that in a way that felt realistic. And I was very happy about that. But it's essentially, yeah, these two really horrible lessons that they're being taught. At this point, I was like, I don't know how much this is just me knowing every single beat of every horror movie and or this movie just being very predictable. But like literally as Toby was being bullied, I was just going, Jordan's going to shoot the dog, like under my breath. And then immediately (laughs) Jordan shoots the dog. So I was like, okay, I don't know whether this is just uh, because I know how these things go or whether it was just for anyone watch. I mean, I didn't, as someone who doesn't necessarily watch horror and slasher jazzer, like, did you feel like you felt all of these beats coming or were you like, uh, sometimes surprised by bits and bobs? Oh yeah. 
hundred percent. And I, I think actually this is more of a problem with this specific movie than it is for the for the genre. It felt like a very paint by numbers plot mm. to me, where it felt like it took a very long time for kind of like any like murdering to actually really happen apart from the the cold open. I did not think you would be the one to complain about a lack of murder. I'm not happening. complaining about it. I am simply <laughs> noting that I only Just screamed observing. maybe. I only screamed in a 90 minute movie about four times. Yeah. And for me, that's me being a very brave boy. Oh, so good. So brave. You're such a brave boy. Such a brave. Um, uh, and it... It took a very long time for kind of like the actual horror aspect. It felt like none of the murders. I mean, we haven't even gotten into any of the murders apart from the groundskeeper that nobody fucking cared about. And that's why up until this point, it still wasn't clear to me who we were killing. (laughs) Like I was still kind of waiting for the the non-named uh, characters yeah, with I did no think lines. you were joking when you mentioned that, and I had to look. No, at you I was like, still Jazza, waiting for they're like only it still killing the evil people. I was like, but what? up until this point, they'd only killed the grounds person. <laughs> That's and true, it and a clear. random old lady on the road. Yeah, and a random old lady on the road, and so it wasn't clear which direction it was going. I am imme- I just immediately was so I was so aware of the fact that if you're going to do a queer slasher horror, it's like it's either the queer people are dying and i was like i don't think they're gonna go that way i feel like but they're going I to one they were gonna have the queer people fighting back see no because i was like i did kind of think that but i was also like it feels like they would not this particular movie just the vibes they were giving i was like i don't think they're gonna want to kill off any of the queer kids mm-hmm. so then i was like okay that means that one of the queer kids did it and then i was like that also feels like something that they won't want to do which Already, I was like, okay, well, in that case, it's going to be Molly. <laughs> I was like, it's it's like, this is really obvious. It's going to be the camp counselor. And I was like, there's two reasons. One is Molly has, Molly is a plant of some kind and has like a queer kid or is like, I'm going into protective mama bear mode for these kids kind of mm-hmm. vibes. So it's less, it's kind of like a, one of those. But then I was like, mm, but we see the killer has like a mask and it's very planned and methodical and killed someone on the road beforehand therefore i was like it's an old what ended up being the case like it's an it's an old camper mm-hmm. um it's mm-hmm. some, like someone's returned and it you could have a, a killer that was not uh, someone we'd seen but that feels kind of like a cheap thing so again i was like okay it's molly mm-hmm. like which yeah 100%. spoiler alert it is yeah it is so we see so kim after she's kind of like um uh, made uh, to feel very uncomfortable by one of the camp counsellors, then has a chat with the not-blue-haired, red-haired bisexual Veronica, and they have sets on some decking, and, uh, well, undoubtedly, everybody gets splinters. That's where my second act ends, and then my mm-hmm. third act is called Everything is Fine, The End, We Don't Need to Watch Anything Else. Sure, I'll go with that. This is basically the bit where... I mean, it's the last, like, 20 minutes of the movie. This is where all of the action happens. Yes. And everybody ends up dying. So Jordan, Alexandra, and Toby, who's the kid who was told to shoot the dog but couldn't, they agree that they're going to... They have a plan to leave the camp in the morning to steal the the school bus that's on the camp. And then we have the really weird scene where one of the speaking characters... Gabriel, who has dark eyes, long black hair, um, uh, like a lean willowy build, um, sees Stu swimming. Gothy little twink. Gothy little twink. Uh, sees Stu swimming in the lake and then derobes 
goes into the lake and then makes out with Stu. At no point have they had any chemistry up until this point. Mm -hmm. And then they go to this cabin that we've kind of been shown as like been locked up and uh, has a load of cagey shit in it. Um, They go into the cabin. They have sex. Stu says, oh, my God, I don't feel guilty. Guilt is for tomorrow. Uh, And then it's very clear that Gabriel, our willowy water nymph, is... Is a plant. A honeypot. Is a, a little pot, predator boy honeypot. Is pot. a little trap, you could say. And I hate it. And so then uh, Kevin Bacon and another camp counsellor then uh, straps you up to what looks like a car battery and um, uh, use electrocution aversion therapy um, mm. uh, by cycling through fun, photos fun, of, fun. To- of men and women in their underwear. Um, I put here, torture montage is the less fun type of queer movie montage. Because <laughs> there are often montage sequences in queer movies, but oftentimes sure. they're fun. They're like, these two people are getting to know each other. They're dating. They're mm-hmm. looking at each other longingly. It's not normally like, here's a car battery. Let's go. Yeah, but, exactly. You know. Um, Molly, who is uh, our ally, uh, says that she quits and then starts to look after Stu. Um, mm-hmm. She's all like, I'm going to the police. And I'm like, oh, babe, don't. That seems like a don't admit that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ke- Kevin Bacon is I'm like, I'm a respected take member of this community. And I'm like, oh, no, that sounds very believable. Then we see Gabriel, our water nymph, gets commandeered by the killer and then gets electrocuted to death in exactly the same way that Stu was electrocuted with reversion therapy. So that's... Mm-hmm. That's that one done. That's that one done. The gym, gym man and cook and pie lady, which is all I've oh, named course, them because yeah. I forgot their names. Um, So this is one of the things that always annoys me, which is like, this is the extreme version of the homophobic bullies were gay all along, where the two of them are in bed together. And essentially, it's very obvious that they are essentially flicking through photos of well, they men have and the women. Kids, they have the kids' phones. So they have Stu's phone and Kim's phone, and they're looking at their selfies on the phones. Oh, I didn't realise that. I clearly was not paying enough attention. And then they start uh, essentially having sex, but looking like the gym boys looking at the boy and then the pie ladies looking at the lady. And I just find it very, I'm like, if we were going to commit to the idea of like, this is homophobia versus like, just have them all be straight. Like, don't do the whole oh, mm-hmm. half of these people are actually secretly gay and that's why they're evil. Like, because it's you're going to make the killer gay and you're also going to make the torturers gay. I'm like, just have straight people be responsible for some bad stuff other than Kevin Bacon. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's just commit to that. But, uh, you know, that's just a personal preference. Mm-hmm. Everyone else dies. Uh, everyone yeah, like convenes stab, stab, and says we axe, need to axe. go now Alexandra takes all of the NPCs and walks them into the woods and says which I'm a safe. black trans woman I could do it in heels um which is I th- uh, which I think is actually the best line of the whole movie. I thought it was extremely cringe, but you know what? We I really enjoyed tastes. it. I really enjoyed it. It was very cringe, but I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, and then we find out, oh wow, Molly is the killer shock horror and has like the attended whistler camp in the future was tortured at a young age and has decided to do a little road trip and close down every single conversion camp in the united states by killing everyone who by works killing them. everyone uh invites i think invites jordan to join her I think. yeah and has a great line which is you'll be burning in hell right next to me to Kevin Bacon's character. Mm -hmm. She's just like, I am too far gone. I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to go to hell, but you'll be there with me, bitch. And I'm like, 
Strong words, Molly. Love yeah. that. Um, and Kevin Bacon dies by being impaled on a taxidermied head of a rhino. Incredible. With a rhino horn right through his torso. Iconic. And you were laughing Cackled. so hard. Cackled. You were beside yourself. It was beautiful. Best bit An iconic movie. death. I also was like, you're not going to cast this actress and not have her be a significant role because she is, uh, despite what Jazz has implied, very well known. Sure, I recognised her. And I also was like, you needed someone like that to be able to commit to the absurdity, but like the genuine belief in being a, a an adult who was doing all of these crimes and was going to do the big like villain confession scene, which I think she pulled off quite well. Mm-hmm. And we also had a very another very cringe line from Jordan, which was like, Angie slash Molly being like, come on, you're strong enough to kill him. And then Jordan being like, no, I'm strong enough to not, not kill, kill him. him. Yeah, no, it was. Oh, bad. Lord. So, yeah, it was like essentially very quickly like, hey, here's a reveal. Here's a villain speech. Jordan, he, what was frustrating is like there are some elements of this that felt like they had had legs. There were elements of this that felt like it. They were planting seeds. But I'm like for her to have been like Jordan come with me we needed to have seen her see Jordan have some like righteous anger Mm -hmm. we needed to have her see Jordan like want to do harm to these people Mm -hmm. which we hadn't seen because Jordan's just vaguely nice (laughs) this was a problem with the whole movie there was no character development I Mm -hmm. feel like the only character that had any three-dimensional like bite to them was Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was like just a 2D cardinal cutout. Every single one of the kids at the camp was a cliche in an almost like regressive way, I mm. think. Like even Jordan, I think, was just kind of like reduced to their gender identity and very little else some stuff about their family and jordan's meant to be the main character mm-hmm. and and then the even molly was a cliche of kind of like a slasher killer like it's it's 101 of like the cliche of what you would expect from a slasher movie mm-hmm. and i think that this scenario has so much potential to be explored and has the potential to have so many layers and it didn't do that Mm. I mean, Slasher often has very like stock characters. It's kind of like a big point in it, right? You've got mm-hmm. like the, so when the two girls having sex in the dock, I was like, oh, that's Slasher what I won. You're going to yeah, die. Yeah. But they didn't. But yeah, but then you had the two boys who were. And they did. <laughs> all together, and they did. And then like one of them got tortured and then one of them did die. Which means um, men having sex with men is bad, worse. But lesbians yes. don't Lesbians exist. are fine. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily think that like just having those couple cut out like supporting characters is necessarily it's it's not that it's good but i feel like you have good slasher that that it still plays into that but i do think that you need a really strong central character Mm -hmm. which jordan like we didn't know anything about jordan and like with slasher central characters in slasher movies they need something they need either like a backstory that connects them to trauma which means that they are particularly uh, like central to mm. the conflict so thinking about like Sidney Prescott for example in uh, in the Scream movies or someone who is in a particularly unique position so like for example actually Veronica with her backstory would have made mm. a really use really good central character because there was some secret that she was keeping that meant that she like needed to be there and needed to be more involved in the situation because she was like a journalist who was investigating there would have been a reason for her to do it like there's a there's a bunch of things that make sense but you have to have a central character who is compelling who you know anything about like I don't know what Jordan's hobbies were I don't know what Jordan's like family shooting. was friends other than shooting 
writing. So I completely agree with that, that I wanted more. I wanted to know more about these characters. I wanted to know like anything about them other than just here are their genders or sexualities. They're at this camp. Mm -hmm. Some of them are sad about it. Some of them aren't. It felt like a parody of a slasher movie that took itself seriously. Mm, Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. Mm. And I also think there was a lot of good acting, like some good performances, but I think that there were just some... With horror, it really, really lends itself to people who can be pushed and not make it melodramatic. And Mm -hmm. I think there were just a few moments that were too melodramatic for me. Like for example, Toby like falling to his knees after not being able to shoot the dog was really frustrating because there had been some really good like close camera moments in that scene of like him and Kevin Bacon and going between them and the stress and the drama. And Mm. I felt like the tension completely left when Toby just like fell to his knees and started being like, no. Yeah, 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 100%. Because you could, you can have, like, if you think about something like Midsommar, like, you can have very, like, I'd ramping up of not, tension. Not oh, I love that movie. I, ramping I, up I, of I, tension. I, I think it's so. very good, but I don't like, I don't enjoy watching it. Yes, that's fair. Um, for you, not for me, I love <laughs> but, yeah. it. Um, but, like, a ramping up of tensions of, like, people's backstories coming into play, of slowly picking people off throughout the movie. Like, obviously, that's an exceptional example, but... Mm. The, the fact that there was a central character that had so much going on that you knew so much about and that also gave a brilliant performance. I think those are all the things you need for something like this to really stand out. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and it can, I think, mask some of the issues with pacing or with direction, which I think this movie also had some iffiness on it, mm-hmm. but not having great pacing kind of like going between psychological and slasher horror and then not necessarily having like fully convincing really realized characters and performances was what like just dipped everything of this movie down from what I was kind of hoping it would be as someone Mm -hmm. who's a big kind of horror fan. Speaking of which. Shall we do our reviews and our ratings? I'd love to. So for our ratings, we take the six-barred rainbow flag with red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple, um, and the broad overarching representations that each of those uh, colours have, and we award our desired number and our desired colour to each of the movies that we review. Rowan, which colours and how many of them are you going to award to this movie i'm gonna go with two uh-huh uh and i'm gonna pick ironically life red vitality <laughs> uh-huh. just for the irony of it and also green for nature because they were in the woods i'm with you there i'm only gonna give it one and <gasps> it isn't because it's a horror movie this is the lowest i've ever scored a movie that's the lowest you've ever scored a movie um i'm only gonna give it one and I think it's because it fo- it fell down on being a horror movie. I was actually looking forward to... Being terrified. For, to you finding me being scared hilarious. Like, I was looking forward to that shared moment. And it only gave us... It wasn't even that scary. There were mm-hmm. some jump scares. But all of, like, the slasher stuff was basically off screen, which I'm sure is kind of like it's being distributed by Peacock at the moment. And maybe that was a restriction in how gory they could be. And I do have a real problem with the fact that they didn't develop those characters. Mm. You know what they did have, though? Lots of trees. So I'm going to give it green (laughs) nature. Look at us go. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you enjoy these episodes, then we still need your help to keep the podcast going. If you like what we're doing and are able to support us, please join our Patreon. You can join for as little as $5 a month. As a patron, you can, amongst other things, join our queer movie club where we do watch-alongs on our Discord every month of a different queer movie, which is always very, very fun, a very, very good, nice community moment. Highly recommended. Uh, make sure that you are following and are subscribed to the podcast so that you are notified of our next episode. We have been Jazza John and Rowan Ellis. We are edited by Julia Shafini and a part of Multitude. Find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. Thank you very much, my darlings. You'll hear from us very soon. Bye. Toodaloo.